Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. Inmates in Florida and North Carolina prisons are banned from reading the new Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander's award-winning book about the racism underlying mass incarceration in the U.S. The Florida prison system's excuse for banning the book is that it contains, quote, racial overtones, unquote. North Carolina's prison system claims the book is, quote, likely to provoke confrontation between racial groups, unquote. As Alexander told the New York Times, quote, some prison officials are determined to keep the people they lock in cages as ignorant as possible about the racial, social, and political forces that have made the United States the most punitive nation on earth. Perhaps they worry the truth might actually set the captives free, unquote. As we reported before, earlier the New Jersey State Prison System banned the book unconstitutionally in the opinion of the ACLU. New Jersey prison officials lifted the ban as soon as the ACLU complained. As the Associated Press reported, thanks to strong community opposition, the private prison company CoreCivic canceled its plan to build a U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Detention Center in northern Indiana. The center was supposed to be located about 10 miles east of South Bend to cost $100 million and to include 1,200 beds. The company had applied to rezone farmland for the center. One of the groups opposing the center was the Coalition Against the Elkhart County Immigration Detention Center, which claims to have some 35,000 members in Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan. A coordinator of the coalition said the center would promote the inhumane treatment of people living in the U.S. illegally. The ACLU of Indiana opposed the project. An ACLU staff member said the organization was concerned that private companies like Core Civic operate without public oversight and accountability. Last year, the state of Ohio spent 25 minutes attempting to execute Alva Campbell via lethal injection and finally gave up after failing to locate a usable vein, according to the Associated Press. Now Campbell's lawyers are arguing that he should be executed by firing squad because it wouldn't entail severe, unnecessary pain and suffering. Utah and Wyoming permit use of a firing squad if other execution methods are unavailable. Campbell's health problems pose extra risk for lethal injection. He uses a walker and an external colostomy bag, requires four breathing treatments a day, and might have lung cancer. During the November attempt at executing Campbell, executioners gave him a wedge-shaped pillow to help him breathe while he was being killed. Campbell's attorneys argue that lethal injection is permissible as long as his heart rate, blood pressure, and breathing are monitored continuously, and drugs and equipment to revive him are available. Up next, we hear the rest of the update from the outside supporters of Operation PUSH. Operation PUSH did not call for rebellions in the prisons, which are relatively frequent occurrences in Florida. And though they're bold and courageous acts, they have not been effective in communicating a clear list of specific demands as PUSH has presented. Operation PUSH repeatedly called for the slow and steady process of economic impact through non-participation. In the absence of news reports about brutal repression, and destructive responses, and as a result of reduced communication access, we've been left to wonder what's actually going on inside. 
And the only option is to wait for first-hand accounts to surface via postal mail. It should come as no surprise that the DOC can't be trusted to report strikes occurring in Florida State Prison System, just as they've been lying or to borrow from a push prisoner using wordplay around the ripoff of their canteen prices. They've been working for weeks to eliminate the chance of the strike success. Claiming that it never existed has been another tactic for trying to stop it. We cannot trust the DOC to adequately report the facts. Beyond this, organizers have conducted public records requests indicating that the DOC has been monitoring dozens of organizations for months in an effort to undermine inside-outside alliances. Clearly, the Department of Corrections views our organizing as more than a minor inconvenience. One drawback of having the buildup of public support grow for weeks on the outside is that it provided ample notification and time for the DOC to bribe, threaten, and gather scab labor. Prisoners who aren't engaged with the movement are able to replace participants in Operation Push and conduct the major operations needed to keep slave camps running. And this repression has made it hard to quantify active participation. There are multiple prisons with varying degrees of participation, and the word of support and solidarity actions are only now beginning to trickle in through news reports and letter-writing events occurring all over the country. Operation Push is massively intensifying the public pressure on the Department of Corrections, and that is undeniably an early victory for the movement. Five days into it, and there are almost 150 organizations who have expressed explicit support nationwide, contributing social media, solidarity actions, letter-writing events, and fundraising. There have been over 40 stories in news outlets, including major national and international coverage. Starting as early as New Year's Eve, Operation Push solidarity protests across Florida have included demonstrations at the Gainesville Work Camp Prison, a Miami parole office, the Lake Butler Reception Medical Center, and a five-hour takeover of the Department of Corrections lobby in Tallahassee, which resulted in protesters being forcefully evicted from the building and an arrest in which a protester is facing bogus felony charges related to a small amount of damage to DOC property. So what's next? Overcoming weeks, organizers on the outside with IWOC and Fight Toxic Prisons will be gathering correspondence from the inside and releasing periodical updates coupled with individualized support campaigns, as we have been doing over the past two years. Several hundred strike support yard signs were printed for statewide distribution, and a new phone zap campaign will be released this Monday by IWOC. The DOC is pretending to ignore Operation Push by issuing meaningless statements and attempting to confuse people over canteen prices, for example, citing the cost of a single soup when prisoners' statement referred to the cost for a whole case. But make no mistake, they're far from ignoring the strikers, and it is far from over. January 15th in Florida was a major step in building up the movement to end prison slavery that is brewing on a national scale, and it has sown seeds for months ahead. Prisoners in Texas have already called for renewing the celebration of the Juneteenth abolitionist holiday and spreading it into prisons worldwide. We are considering Operation Push as an important, necessary piece of groundwork for making that successful. In the meantime, keep in touch via the Spark, IWOC, and FTP websites and social media presence. We have a list of uh, several prisoners that we, we feel comfortable in sharing the identity of, although the, the majority of prisoners who have been in correspondence, we still feel a responsibility to maintain their anonymity in order to uh, lessen the repression that they face and the limitations on their organizing that come with that. We received a message from local supporters of Operation Push who say that you can join them to show solidarity with workers held hostage by the state. They say a call-in will take place on Sunday, January 28th from 12 to 2 p.m. in the Monroe County Public Library Room 2A to pressure the Florida Department of Corrections to meet the demands of the revolutionary movement of prison labor. They say you can join their call or organize your own. They'll have material to help you organize your own call-in at their Sunday event at the Public Library. 
If you want to call on your own, the number for the Florida Department of Corrections is 850-488-5021. Again, that's 850-488-5021. In this episode, we continue hearing from Craig, who spent significant time in the Monroe County Jail. You can hear the first part of Craig's interview in last week's episode. He spoke about his experiences in the various parts of the Monroe County Jail, and also his experiences being a jail trustee there. This time, he speaks about recreation time, jail overcrowding, and the varying conditions between jails in Indiana that he's experienced, and how they communicated with their loved ones. In other words, the differences Craig saw between in-person visitation and video visitation. We'll hear the last part of Craig's story in next week's episode, but now, here's Craig. Where recreation was, to my understanding, supposed to be offered to everybody, I believe, three times a week. That could be at any given time, and was supposed to be in duration of at least one hour each time, so three hours a week. Indoor and outdoor rec. Outdoor rec is only available when the temperature is supposed to be above 60 degrees, but then it's got to be above 60 degrees and no rain, no snow, no precipitation, or if there's not something going on at the in the outside rec area, um, like a flashing along the, the bottom of the door is broken, they might fear that somebody would go out there and try to rip the piece of metal off or, or do something. Um, outdoor rec, as far as visually what it looks like, it looks like a 30-foot cinder block wall on all four sides with a chain link fence across the top. So even if you do get outside rec, it is nice to smell fresh air, but that fresh air may not be, even if it's a sunny day, unless the sun's at high noon right above you, you may not be getting any direct sunlight. Um, other than that, it's a foam padded around the, on the floor of it with a couple grates for water drainage. There's a pull-up bar and there's a, a dip bar that are mounted on one wall. And other than that, it's just a big square, probably 30 by 30 square. You can go out there and just walk around or just be outside. If outdoor rec is not available and they make indoor rec available, uh, of course it's indoors, so it can be available 24 hours a day. It too is a big square room. It's in between two blocks at the one end of the jail, at the opposite end of the jail as the outdoor rec. But it too is about 30 foot tall with fluorescent lights up at the top. It has a pull-up bar, it has a dip bar, and they recently put in a like a universal workout machine that's bolted to the floor. All it really is is a designer version of a pull-up bar, a dip bar, and it's got one extra little thing on there that can be used. Other than that, most guys just go and walk around you could get creative, which many inmates do. Take their shirt off, tie it into a ball, throw it around like a football, or pretend that there's a basketball goal there. I was told that there used to be basketball goals in there, but I believe somebody had broken a, an ankle or something, and the story I got was that it cost too much to have the insurance in case somebody got hurt. So they took the basketball goal down, and so... It was good to just be able to walk around, but at the same time, it's like, it's not really recreation. I could walk in a, if I was in a regular block, I could walk. Upstairs as a trustee, I could walk the entire length of the jail 
which was farther one direction I could walk at rec. So when they would come say indoor rec, we have indoor rec up here. You know, I can walk further up here. So the difference, again, then being from a regular block to in the trustee block, the regular block, if your minimum security, I believe they can only take 16 people to rec at a time, or that was minimum security. Medium security, you can only eight guys could go at a time. You go out there and you come back and, well, maybe something happens and then the rest of the block doesn't get a chance to go. But as a trustee, um, you know, we got creative and took old socks, cut them, filled them up with beans, sewed them up together kind of with, you know, a homemade type needle, like, you know, some thread and uh, made cornhole bags. And then we use milk crates as the hole and we started playing cornhole. Well, we started doing this upstairs and then uh, this past summer when it was warm out, we asked a couple of the guards and we said, hey, is there any problem with us taking this out there? He said, no, no, no problem. So we took them out there and we would play. Now, the regular blocks don't have access to any of those items. So by that alone, they're not going to be able to do so. But, uh, you know, it was... Again, it was an extra privilege that we were allowed to to do. Um, then the other thing about REC was they have what they call a misdemeanor side, which is one half of the jail, and a felony side, which is the other half. Now, that doesn't mean if you're on the felony side that you have necessarily a felony. It's just kind of how it used to be, and the names have stuck. But one week, felony side will get nighttime wreck, which means that they are offering you wreck, fulfilling their obligations, but they're doing it at 2.30 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning. Um, you know, I think there's three different hours from anywhere from about one o'clock to four o'clock. There's a possibility that you could be offered wreck during that time. So if that's the case, maybe you'll go to wreck, but if you sleep at night and you expect to get wrecked during the daytime it's not going to happen that week so you could go conceivably well over a week without being offered wreck during the day otherwise they want you to interrupt your sleep in order to at least be offered the the recreation time so that was a that was definitely a drawback In Vermilion County, their jail at total capacity is around 70, 70 people total. You can ask for rec. They will try to give it to you every day. It's usually about an hour. They too have nothing but kind of a square room. However, there's a carpeted wall that comes up about three and a half feet or so, and they give you a racquetball. So you can at least go down there and play handball, which a lot of guys would do, and you can sweat. I mean, anybody who's ever played racquetball, it's, but at least they give you something to do. In that county, you could have your own tennis shoes that you came in with or have tennis shoes brought there and dropped off and be searched. In Monroe County, nobody could really have tennis shoes except the trustees, um, which they would get them out of your property or you could have them brought to the jail, dropped off. They'd be x-rayed and searched, but at least because, I mean, you're you're working all day, and so it's nice to have something other than croc-type sandals on. Now, in Howard County, 
they have over 500 people in their county jail. And you're offered, Rick, four days a week, and you, whether it's indoor or outdoor, um, the temperature that it has to be is a little different. I believe it, it only has to be above 52 degrees. I don't know what makes that the rule, but that's the way they, they utilize it. But you were given a basketball. The blocks are a lot bigger. There's upwards of 75 people in a block, and everybody from that block could potentially go to rec. Well, the rec yard is about the same size as the Monroe County Jail, and depending on which block you're in determines what time, whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the afternoon, but they run their jail a little different, and the amount of time that you get out during a day's time is significantly less so most people do go to rec, even if they don't do anything but stand up against the wall, inside or out. But at least the opportunity is there for the basketball and you know to have something constructive to do. Howard County, I believe that 2010, the total jail occupancy was somewhere around 375, 400 was pushing it. This last time that I had to go there for the uh, probation violation by catching this charge, when I got booked in, the count was 475. And I just hadn't spent a lot of time in there, but I remember that's quite a bit different number. I can only imagine what the what the jail looked like once you got back to the block. I got transported from Monroe County to Howard County. I go into their drunk tank and you know I get changed out immediately. Just some of the differences between Monroe County and Howard County. Whereas in Monroe County, there's people that will sit in the drunk tank for upwards of a couple, two, three, sometimes horror stories of four or five days. I'm sure there may be reasons why that happens. They may be on what they call a narc hold because they still may be under the influence of, of drugs or alcohol. And that may be the case in Howard County as well, but two hours after I was there, I'd already been changed out. I'd already been given a mat while in the drunk tank, which does not occur in Monroe County. I was given a box, which every inmate is given a box in Howard County. Nobody's given a box to keep your belongings in here in Monroe County. But I went back to a block and of course it was, it's a bigger block, so it was full. Whereas in years past, when what they call the overflow of guys would come in and all the bunks, because every every room has bunks, so two guys per room, except the corner rooms. The corner rooms, just by design, are have a, a little bit extra space. And so the corner rooms used to get filled with what they call a boat, which is a hard plastic apparatus that I think fulfills the legal requirement of being six inches off the ground. They still issue you a mat. Um, but now up there, every room has a boat because they're just over, overbooked. Um, it got so bad while I was up there and I was up there for seven weeks. And I think the second, second week that I was there, they, they being the correctional officers came in and announced that there was going to be a sign-up sheet for anybody who wanted to leave the Howard County jail and get moved to another county jail because they literally were, the fire marshal was being called in and saying, we are over, you're 
well over occupancy. You cannot keep it this way. So they uh, they came and took about, I think, 20 or 25 people out just due to the being overcrowded. Howard County does it a lot different. You know, I had spent so much time in Monroe County, and in so many ways it was better than the couple months I had done in Howard County prior to. You did get out more down here in Monroe County. You're out later. You didn't have to lock down until 1130 at night. Howard County, you were locked down at 830 at night, uh, where you just got out at 7 o'clock. You usually got out for about an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, and an hour and a half or so of an evening. The guards would do training on Saturdays and Sundays, which cut into the amount. They would do it during their shift, which would cut into the time that you were out. So on the weekends, you're locked down even longer. Um, they have upgraded to where they have video visits there in Howard County where your people can come to the jail and they have a monitor down in the lobby. But each block has certain dates and times when that's available. So it's not just come in whenever. It's only like if I was in a certain block, they may not be available on Tuesday and Wednesday. Within Thursday, it's available from maybe 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., whatever it may be. Then you could also call in, and then it cost, I believe, 25 cents a minute to do a video visit. But they had to have an account, and they had a whoever was going to be visiting you had to put money on their side of the visit to pay for it, even if you had money on your account, on your on your books. You couldn't pay for it that way. So the ones in the jail were free. You didn't have to pay for those. Monroe County has tablets, Android tablets, in each block that any of the guys have a password and can utilize. They offer a free one, which only has like a four-minute window where you can get on there. and has some resources on there, but very limited. Then you can log in, or you can pay three cents a minute for the promotional site, which has radio... A few games stuff like that and then they have a five cents a minute which has everything from games and, and music to movies crackle there's no Facebook there's no active internet where you can get in there and search they do have limited websites like um, Cosmo ESPN they have an ESPN app where you can but you can't just get in there and search for whatever you'd like but it does cost money and then they, too, now have video visits. While I was there, the jail offered visits four times a week that they would bring in a sheet of paper for each block that had blocks of time when it was available. You could register for four half-hour blocks a week. And then if I set up my visits for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 6 p.m., anybody could come up. It doesn't have, they didn't have to specifically schedule. I could tell a, a friend, I could tell my family, I could tell somebody, you know, a volunteer, whoever it might be, come up at six o'clock, you know, get there a few minutes early and we can visit. And they would see that I had a scheduled visit and they would allow this person in. They being the, the officers that were working downstairs where people do come in. So it required a lot of manpower, if you will, to have somebody checking 
people that are coming into the jails IDs then they have to have somebody else open the doors and you know it doesn't sound like it's too much strenuous work but it does require able bodies to do so they started offering the video visits and for those like myself who are from out of town it's not economically efficient for my friends or family to drive two and a half hours one way for a half hour free visit. But for 15 cents a minute, we can talk and see each other. No different than if they were to drive to Bloomington, we're still going to be seeing each other over monitors. It's not even a piece of glass that separates us. It's, I'm going to be on the fifth floor. They're going to be on the first floor. And we want to get to physically see each other like that. So at first it was very welcoming. Now, one of the perks and privileges of being a trustee was that you still had to sign up on a sheet, but you could have a visit seven days a week. Now, like I said, not from being down here, not from being around here, I didn't have anybody that I would have come to the jail to visit me. Um, however, there was many people that would have, that did take advantage of having a visit every day. Here recently, uh, they took the the old monitor visits away. Everybody had kind of transitioned over to the video visits. And so although they said you can still come to the jail to do a visit, now down in the lobby, they too will be on a little tablet. They will have to log in. And it would be no different than they would do if they were at home and wanted to visit you. So you're only offered now the 60 minutes worth of free visits a week, which equates to two half-hour visits before you got four. The trustees can still only get the hour's worth. And during that time, they have to have an account with Telmate. And even if you only live a mile from the jail, you may spend at least two or three dollars in gas getting to and from. So, although it's going to be free to go there for the first 60 minutes of it, my thinking of it is that the reason why they implemented this was because they know people are going to look at it that way. And if I already have to have an account, why get out in the snow to come see somebody for free when I can just pay $2.25 and visit you from home? It's going to be the exact same visit other than I don't have to leave the house. So my thinking and understanding on this when they just kind of drop the bomb on and everybody like, hey, this is what we're going to, is that it's going to help free up the staffing. Then the option is still there for people to come in, but not very many people are coming in to do it that way. People are still getting visits, but now they're paying for it. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's a profit-making system, um, and for that, they're doing a. I'm sure they're doing a very good job of it. Uh, this is just one other way, a revenue stream for them to to bump that up a little bit. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. 
You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.